0: Chapter number 26. Well, we've spent a good amount of time so far getting down through verse number 10, and we pick up tonight in verse 11, as I said at the beginning. These first twelve verses deals with the folly of a fool, and then we've got sort of a change of pace beginning in verse number thirteen, and there there are just uh, three or four verses that has to do with the uh, with the sluggard, and we're going to talk about that uh, and get try to get down through verse sixteen tonight, but. We're finishing up one subject, and then we're moving on just very briefly to another. So uh, I just want to make sure that you make that connection tonight. So verse number 11, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Uh, you, you know, to some people that might just seem to be unnecessarily crude, Uh You know, it's so blunt and it's so graphic that it might be disgusting to some people. Well, if that's the way they feel, I say good. I wish they were that disgusted about what this picture represents, and that's the point. Uh, This, like old Charles Bridges said so many years ago, he said the emblem is far less filthy than the thing denoted by it. And boy, that is the truth. Because whenever he's talking about uh, the dog returning to the vomit, is a picture of the sinner going back to to his sin. And so that's the that's the God given reason for this graphic illustration. He wants us to know. Now think about this: that there is nothing in the animal kingdom that is so evil, so debasing as man's sin. That's the most sickening thing in all of the world in the sight of God. That's why here a month or so ago, I, I preached a, a message about the worst thing in the world. And uh, and sin is the very worst thing in all of the world. When I think about that, of course, I think about uh, Adam and Eve and especially Eve when Satan comes to her in the form of a serpent. And he said, ye shall be as gods and she bought into that lie. Ye shall be as gods, but the truth is man became more like the brute beast of the field uh, than than he does uh, is anything like God at all. And so, you know, we look at things that we see in the animal kingdom and uh, it, it might be you 're watching the Discovery Channel or something like that I mean where the it 's all about the survival of the fittest you know and the uh, and maybe it 's the lions or the leopards killing animals and things of that nature and what have you and uh, and uh, we look at that and then we turn around and we think about what we do to one another as human beings created in the image of God. And and the sad thing is, although we were created in the image of God, that image was marred and marred permanently as long as we're on this earth, Uh, because the nature of man was totally changed when Adam sinned. A lot of things about that we don't understand, a lot of things we can't explain, but what we do know... Is that sin is in the nature of the natural man. So many times there are people that you'll talk to them about becoming a Christian, and and I remember my dad before he trusted the. He often made the statement, "Well, son, I'm just as good as those folks down there at the church." And the fact of the matter is, he was he was he he was better than a lot of those folks down at the church. But the problem is a lot of those folks down in the church, just like him, they were sinners that needed to be born again. And so all of us are vile and sinful by nature. And, uh, and, and so whenever, whenever Satan says to Eve, "Ye shall be as gods, you know, the wheels in her mind is turning that by, by partaking of the forbidden fruit, this is going to be a means of advancement. It's going to be a a means to pleasure that God is depriving me of at the present time. Whenever you think about somebody that is a drunkard and, you know, alcoholic or somebody that's on dope or whatever, and uh, they start out at the beginning uh, being deceived by believing that they'll be able to derive pleasure from this, and then they end up hurting themselves and they end up hurting others. You, you know, we never see the finished product of the brewer's art, uh, and, and and it's a sad, sad picture whenever we think about what drugs and alcohol has done to people, and um, and it's still happening today, all because of man's sinful nature. I want you to turn over to Second Peter just a moment, and. Uh, And here we find Peter quoting this verse, by the way, 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in, well, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning." For it had been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mar. Now, that's not talking about somebody losing their salvation. That has to do because when the Lord gives us eternal life, it's eternal. Amen. It is forever. We don't lose something that is eternal. It's talking about those who who the word we might use is reform. Those that reform, those that received a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they knew what was expected of them, and they even professed to embrace that. But at the same time, there was no inward change. Their nature was exactly the same. Well, whatever your nature is, whatever you are within, eventually you're going to manifest without. It, it always works that way. We can pretend for a while you could go out here and get the biggest drunk in the county and and if you would promise them enough money, buy them a new suit and a new pair of shoes, take them down and, you know, get them a haircut and a shave and bring them to church and promise them enough money, uh, if they would just give a good performance of pretending to be a Christian, well, you'd be amazed. They, you know, uh, people can fool people. But whenever it's in our nature to sin, eventually the nature is going to win out, and that's what happens, the dog returning to its own vomit, as I've said so many times back before I was saved, and with all of my heart, as rotten as it was, with all of my heart, I wanted, I I didn't want to be what I was, and and yet I, I, I couldn't stop it, I couldn't do anything about it. And I'd make promises that I couldn't keep. I'd tell Bev, you know, I'm 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 not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to stop tomorrow night. I'll I'll be home right after work, and uh, uh, and sometimes it might be two or three days before she'd see me again. And so it was in my nature. And as I preached here a while back, you know, whenever Paul was saying to Timothy, they're taken captive with the devil at his will. And, And that's exactly the way it is because we are living in a state of bondage. And our old sinful, rotten, vile nature ultimately is going to prevail. And the only thing that can keep that from happening is what? A new nature. And that new nature comes as a result of us putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You you see, it's not so many times people say, well, boy, I'll tell you what, oh, so-and-so got saved and they really changed. Now, I know what they mean, and in a sense that is true, but it's not so much that they changed. In other words, they were not the change agent. It was God that changed them. It's him working in them, and uh, you know, w- without him, we couldn't do anything. And, and know what what the Bible says? Jesus said, "Without me, you couldn't do anything. Couldn't, you know, we, we'd be totally helpless." And so, just as the dog returns to its vomit, just as the sow, you know, you take that sow and wash it all up and put, uh, put a. Uh, a bow on its tail and its ears, and what have you, and a little perfume behind its ears. And as soon as it finds a mud hole somewhere, it's going to be right back there doing what? Acting like a pig. That's the way pigs act. That's what sinners do. There's so many times we think uh, to ourselves, you know, I just can't believe so and so did this, or I can't believe people do that. Well, you know, really, we ought to stop being surprised all by, by all of that because there's absolutely no limit to what sinful man will do it It shouldn't really surprise us. Because let me tell you something, just being sophisticated because you've been educated, you know, at the best schools, and just because you speak proper English, and just because, you know, you were raised in a home that uh, where, where, you know, people taught you good manners and all of that, that's not going to survive out there in the real world. You're going to revert right back to whatever it is that's in your heart. That's why, you know, the sinner doesn't need a new start. They need a new heart. So many people think, and and, and before I was saved, I thought the same thing. Man, I wish I could just start all over again. I wish I didn't have this bad record behind me. You know, if I just get a fresh start, that wouldn't have helped me one single bit. I needed a new heart, and that's what God gave me. Now, verse number 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? Let me tell you, you don't have to look very far to find somebody like that. They're all over in this world that we live in. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. You know, unless a person is conscious of their condition, there's no hope that they'll ever improve. Whenever you talk about somebody, let's say it's an alcoholic or addicted to drugs, uh, until they get to that point that they're willing to admit what they are, you, you are just uh, spinning your wheels trying to help them. Over in Isaiah in chapter number 5, there's a couple of verses here that relate to what I'm talking about. Isaiah chapter number 5, and uh, let's see, I think about verse number 20, and Israel had this same problem in uh, not recognizing their sin, and he says in verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Notice this, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. You read that, it's almost like a commentary on Washington, D.C., I mean, that is very descriptive of America today, people that call right wrong and wrong right, and and, uh, we've got everything upside down today. uh, It is a skewed world because we've left the standard of God's Word, and whenever you leave the standard of God's Word, everything is up for grabs. I mean, you know, uh, the only thing we've got to go on is man's opinion. Now, you know, we can decide well, we're going to let the opinion of man rule, and we're going to do so in a democratic process, you know, and so we we'll all get together and we all vote, but just because the majority's ruled in one direction doesn't mean we got it right because a lot of times most of the time, in fact, the majority gets it wrong and and we certainly wouldn't want to be foolish enough to just turned over to some dictator somewhere. Uh, because if a man has enough power to be the dictator over a nation, he is going to be ruthless enough uh, you know that uh, that he 's certainly not going to be the kind of person we would want to uh, to be under and uh, the only only solution for that is whenever Jesus himself, the perfect authority, rules and reigns in this world so but we're talking here about a man who's wise in his own conceit you can't tell a person like that anything they think they've got it all figured out they think they know more than you do they don't see anything wrong with themselves so there's no room for improvement and notice there's more hope of a fool than of him and uh, so we need to be conscious of our condition and the only way that we can do that is what to accept the authority of God's Word as being the proper standard by which we measure our lives because it never fails. Now we come to verse 13, on down through verse 16, and we're going to look at these uh, these three verses uh, in the remainder of our time. And, uh, and he begins to speak here about the shame of the sluggard. And, uh, you know... A lot of people despise the very thought of work when you get right down to it. Somebody sent out a thing by way of email or, or maybe it was on Facebook and they were talking about the change in the world today and the resentment that people have for responsibility. They don't want any responsibility. We. Uh, they, they don't want to even be responsible for taking care of themselves. You know, you're just going to put that responsibility over on the government, and uh, and if the government doesn't do it, they're going to they're going to complain and burn down the town or do something by way of protest. But throughout the Bible, it speaks about work as a noble thing. Uh, but it's not just a noble thing; it's an obligation. If, if you if you listen to uh, gallery furniture uh, commercials on the radio, and I, don't, I don't know how you'd ever miss it. Mattress Smack gets on there uh, on every station in town, I think. But, but, but I've noticed that he, uh, in, in most of those commercials, it has to do some way or another with the reward of hard work. Getting up, going to work, doing your job and what have you and being conscientious and so forth. And the reward, he built a business evidently on that philosophy and it's a good philosophy. It works for Christians, it works for anybody. Doesn't make any difference whether you're a Christian or not. There are certain rules that apply to everybody. Whenever we think about the law of sowing and reaping, uh, that applies to everybody. And whenever we think about the matter of being rewarded for doing the right thing, you, you could take you could take some sinner out here that's never been in church all of their life. and and if they could, you know to do their best, to live according to the standard of God's word, they'd be a lot better off for it. Now it wouldn't get them into heaven, by the way, because you have to be born again to be saved. But they would be better off following the standard of God's word. You see God's word is not only right, it's best it It's best for all of us well, so here here we go talking about this subject of work, and we need to because nothing is free, right? Somebody's got to pay for it. Now, there are four things he says about the slugger. In verse thirteen, he starts out talking about his excuse. The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. Boy, I tell you, making excuses is a common thing. And I guess it's always been that way. You can go all the way back to, uh, to the Garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve making their excuses. And we're still doing it today. But that doesn't make it, uh, that doesn't make it any less unacceptable. And so here the sluggard, rather than going to work, rather than doing his job, he says there's a line in the way. There's a line in the streets. Now, you know, that really that's pretty unlikely because where there are streets, you're talking about being in a town or in a city, right? You're not talking about being out in the wilderness. And it's very unlikely there's going to be a line in the streets or in town. But I think more importantly is... What is the lion doing running around out there in the streets? Kill it. You know, get rid of it. But, but instead of doing that, evidently the picture is here, well, I'm not going to work today. I'm not going out. You can't expect anything from me today because there's a lion out there in the streets. He might get me. Well, it's time to take action, you see. And there's so many times people make excuses why they don't do this or that. I don't know, 20, uh, uh, here I go with years again, might have been 30 years ago, I don't know, might have been 40. All of a sudden, somewhere in the public schools, not all of them, not with all of the teachers, but some way or another, teachers started pounding in the head of the students, don't waste your life doing things you don't enjoy doing. Don't take a job if it's not something you like to do. You know, if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. That, that kind of philosophy. Now, it's a wonderful thing if you love your job. It's a wonderful thing if you can get a job making a living doing something that you really enjoy doing. There's not anything wrong with that. That's wonderful. But let me tell you, sometimes you have to do things that you don't enjoy doing in order to survive. And there are a lot of people, believe me, I could name names, people that just because they're too stinking lazy to get off their duff and to get out here and to get a job and to make a living, and what do they do? More than anybody I know, they sit around and bellyache and complain because somebody's not on their doorstep helping them. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense I ever heard of in my life. They are bitter They're bitter because people aren't giving them all of the help that they think they deserve. Well, get a job and you won't need the help, you see. So, you know, time to get rid of all of those excuses. If the lion's in the street, kill it. If you can't get a job because you don't have an education, get an education. You do what you got to do. Now, verse number 14, it speaks about his enslavement his enslavement as the door turneth upon his hinges so doth the slothful upon his bed think about that just get the picture in your mind as the door turneth upon the hinges going out of our main bathroom and into the little bathroom area there and i won't get too graphic or anything but i I went back in the other room and, and told Bev, I said, "If I got a place up there on my head? She said, yeah, what'd you do? I said, I walked through the door opening without opening one side of the door and walked right into it. Now, that's a pretty stupid thing to do, and if I'd been paying attention, I wouldn't have done that. And, and they, you know, they make doors on hinges so it can swing back and give you access. Unless you're pretty stupid, you'll take advantage of that door being attached to the hinge. Now, just as the door is attached to that that door facing there by the hinge, it says the sluggard is bound to his bed. I, I mean, it's like somebody tied him in bed or something and he just can't get up. And, of course, it's you know, not that he can't, it's that he won't. Uh, but... Uh, so doth the slothful upon his bed. And I think we can put an emphasis on that turning. He turns over to this side, you know, and wakes up, should get up, turns over to the other side. He's tossing and turning, you know, but just won't get out of bed. He He's enslaved by uh, by his laziness. Now notice verse 15. Here it speaks about how extreme his laziness is. The slothful hideous, Hideth his hand in his bosom, and it grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. Now keep in mind, in those days when they wore those robes and had the folds there, and you know, just as we've got pockets today to put stuff in, well, they use the fold in the garment to, to put stuff in. And uh, it would be a common thing to see somebody with their hand inside uh, the fold on their robe. And here he's talking about somebody, the sluggard, that is so lazy that he won't even take his hands out of his pocket to reach out there and get something to eat. Now, I'm, you got to be pretty lazy to be so, too lazy to feed yourself, right? But that's the picture here, and, and it, it shows how extreme... Uh, laziness can be. Somebody described laziness as resting before you get tired. And uh, I think it's what a lot of people do. They, they're they not even tired because they haven't expended any energy. They haven't worked. But yet they, they they want to rest. Well, go over to the Lamentations and I'm not going to turn there. Chapter 3 and verse 27 It teaches us there that we ought to teach our children to work, that work ethic. And uh, I I certainly didn't do as good a job as I uh, could have with that. Uh, Bev did a lot better than I did. You know, when it comes to the boys, I tend to spoil them more because I had them involved in baseball and football and everything like that. But I'm telling you, the girls, they had chores to do and... And back, back in those days, we didn't, we, we didn't have a washer and dryer. We didn't have a dishwasher or any of those things. So whenever uh, to wash clothes, Bev had to go to the laundromat. And, uh, of course, the kids were like stair steps, and she'd load them up in the car and take them. And they, each one had their assignment and knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And, uh, and it, it, listen, it's not cruel to teach kids to work and to give them responsibility, they need that. One more thing, and we're through, and that's verse 16, still talking about the sluggard. And here it speaks about his egotism. It says the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Now, this is just another way of saying that he thinks that he knows it all. That The number seven in the Bible speaks about completeness. And, and so the picture he's painting here for us is that the sluggard thinks he's wiser than any number of men who might have other opinions. Whatever they think, his opinion is better. You know, I've known, I've known people like that, and, and I've, I've watched what they did in business meetings in churches uh, many years ago especially. You know, if every other member of the church voted to do something and believed it was the right thing to do, it seemed like that one person always thought, you know, I'm going to go against the grain. I've got a better idea. I'm smarter than all the rest of the church, and I'm going to offer a a counter-suggestion, and uh, they'd get pretty emphatic about it, you know, letting you know. Uh, That you're wrong and they're right well I don't need to tell you that leads to what contention and division in the church the Bible says only by pride comes contention and the conceited person is a person who is so prideful that they think they know more than anybody else you can't tell them anything they know it all and uh and, and, and consequently, they're stuck right where they are. And if they're a Christian and you know, and prone to that problem, they'll never make any spiritual progress. Well, Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in verse number seventeen and head toward the end of the chapter. And maybe we'll uh, uh, maybe we'll get through and wrap up that chapter. Anybody have any comments?